0: We are in the Gospel of John for the summer, and we are in John chapter 5 today for the story of the man healed by the pool of Bethesda. So let me read the story to get us started here. John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Now the story goes on, but we're going to deal with the first part, and then we're going to deal with the second part in a little bit. So there's this festival going on in Jerusalem, quite possible. That it's the festival of the, the Feast of Tabernacles or the festival, Spring Festival of Purim. We're not quite sure. But John tells us that near the Sheep Gate, which is sort of in the north of the city of Jerusalem and what today is the, the Muslim quarter, there was this pool called Bethesda, meaning like House of Mercy uh, in Aramaic. It's described as having five roofed colonnades, so it had like basically five pavilions around it. Okay, the idea of five little pavilions so that you could get shade around this pool. Now, in Israel, in Jerusalem, uh, water is kind of a big deal. There's not a lot of water there. You're not very close to any real sources of water. There's one spring in the in the entire city of Jerusalem, and when there was a festival, the 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 the, the city would get full of people, and those people would have to drink water, and they would also have to bathe after their trip. And then you also had to do ceremonial washing so that you could go up onto the Temple Mount. And so the need for water in Jerusalem is very high. And what did I say? There is none. There's just not a lot of water. And so Jerusalem was built with this elaborate system to catch water. And Herod did a lot. Uh, Herod the Great did a lot to sort of develop this. So the rainwater would pool into different places and then would sort of capture so that they could actually have water for all the things that they needed to do in the city. Now, the interesting thing about this pool is that for a long time, nobody knew where this pool was. Uh, The city of Jerusalem has been built and destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed so many times that the actual city of Jerusalem that Jesus knew is well below your feet if you're in Jerusalem today. I mean, there's just layer and layer upon... Uh, what Jesus would have known. And so this actually became kind of an interesting point that a lot of people said, well, this pool doesn't exist. John was making this up because they'd never found this pool. No one had ever seen this pool until the 19th century in which they were doing some digging in this part of the Muslim quarter near the Church of St. Anne. And they found this pool. Now, on the back of your bulletin, I've given you a couple pictures just so you can kind of see a couple pictures that I took of uh, the ruins of what they found to this pool. And interestingly enough, they found this pool to really actually have uh, five pavilions. It had like five porticos, five uh, roofed colonnades. And uh, it was actually two pools. It was one pool and then another pool. And there was sort of this, um, this sleuth pipe. There was this pipe where they could transfer water from one pool to the other in there. And so they'd have to sort of manage the level of the water. And uh, they found also in the archaeological digs several churches as well as several temples to gods of the Greco-Roman world based on healing. And so based on this story and based on the archaeology, what we can tell is that sometimes the water would have to move from one pool to the other. Okay? And so what somebody would have to do is crawl down, and they'd have to kind of pull a plug to let water go from one pool into the other. And what would happen then is the pool would churn. It would bubble. And the people who couldn't see that person would actually, like it would just start bubbling, right? And they found that the soil and the stone in this sleuth pipe, in this pipe that goes between the two, has like a red fixture to actually, I've seen people, Uh, uh, I've seen people in videos put their hand on the wall of it and take their hand off and their hand is red. And so what we think is that actually this pool would bubble red sort of randomly. And what people have believed is that an angel was stirring the pool or that something magical was happening to the pool. And the belief was that the first person to get into the pool where the bubbling was, where the bubbling sort of blood was, would be healed. And so around, under the shade of these porticos, would be all these people who needed healing. Okay? There would be all these people that needed healing for various illnesses. And so they would wait until that would happen, and then they would try to get in. And so you can imagine the, the, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And when the water would bubble red, they would rush in. And there's a man sitting there who has been, uh, who has been paralyzed for 38 years. Now, when he heals, he gets up and immediately walks, right? And um, and so he's, he's probably older than 38, right? He, he knows how to walk. He just hasn't been able to do it for a long time because he, he, he gets up and walks right away. So this is somebody who used to be able to walk, must have had some kind of accident, and is paralyzed, and now can't walk. And for 38 years, uh, he hasn't been able to walk. I wonder how many of those he spent just sitting by this pool. Now, whenever you hear a specific detail, particularly in the Gospel of John, you should pay attention to it. 38 is like... John could have just said a long time, right? He's been there a long time. You know, almost 40 years, he could have said. But he said 38. Well, why 38? Well, in the Old Testament, Israel spent 40 years in the desert. Okay? So 40 years is often associated with this sort of desert uh, experience, separation from God, But if you remember the story, Israel first goes to the promised land. They send spies in to check out the land. And then uh, they say, oh, we can't take it. We better go back to Egypt. And then God punishes them by saying, oh, you're going to have to spend 40 years in the desert. So the reality is they, they spent two years getting there. And then they spent 38 years wandering around in the desert as a punishment from God. And so this number 38 is sort of representative of Israel being separated from God because they don't believe in what God can do. So Jesus asks this man a simple question. Hey, do you want to be healed? Now, I just want everybody to really clearly understand this. It's kind of a stupid question. Okay, he's been paralyzed for 38 years. Yeah, he wants to be healed. What does he do every day? He sits by the pool of Bethesda waiting for the water to churn so that why? He can be healed. It's kind of a dumb question. Of course he wants to be healed. And yet I wonder if if in the way this man talks, he's sort of given up, right? What's the problem? The problem is if you've got to be the first one to get into the water and get to where it's bubbling, but your legs don't work and there's nobody to help you, then everybody else is going to pass you. And so for, I don't know, maybe maybe for 35 years, maybe all 38 years, this man has sat by this pool and yet never, ever, ever makes it in because there's nobody to help him and he can't just run up there. His legs don't work. Of course, of course I want to be healed. But I wonder if this. That at this point he's just sitting by the pool. And he's given up hope. He's given up that, that he's ever going to be healed perhaps when jesus says this he's hoping that maybe he has a little bit of hope that maybe jesus will help him get in the pool like hey jesus there's nobody to help me get in the pool would you help me get in the pool are you willing to help me there's nobody to help me but jesus is kind of thinking you don't need this pool Jesus can just make the man well. And imagine the craziness of this scene, right? Here we have a bunch of people who are in need of of healing and who every day fight to get into the pool to find healing. And yet here's a guy that doesn't even get in the pool that suddenly gets up, picks up his mat, and starts walking around. Can you imagine the craziness, the chaos? All these other people like, what just happened? He didn't even get in the pool. How did he get healed? Can you imagine the hustle, the bustle, the excitement, the questions? And as the crowd gathers around him, Jesus slips away. Now, we've gotten through the miracle. Let's look at the rest of the text to see the reaction to the miracle. Now, that day was the Sabbath. Important detail here. So the Jews said to the man who had who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. This was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. And Jesus answered him, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So John uses this phrase, uh, the Jews, and uh, and some people have tried to look at this and say that this is sort of racist by John. The, the challenge with that is, of course, John is a Jew. <laughs> okay, he's a Jew, and uh, Jesus is a Jew, so he can't just mean all Jews. This is sort of his shorthand for the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, the scribes. Um, he just sort of calls them the Jews, the Judaizers, and 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 he portrays them as being so narrow-minded that what are they upset about? Here's a man who's gotten healed. Thirty-eight years he's been at the pool. Probably they've seen him at the pool. Like probably they've walked by. They know this man, and suddenly he's walking around carrying his mat. And what are they mad? They're mad that he's carrying his mat. He's not allowed to work on the Sabbath. Actually, the Bible itself didn't define exactly what it meant by work, and so there were lots of other rules that priests and rabbis had had written to say, well, what does constitute work? Is this work? Is that work? And uh, so they are so narrow-minded that they can only see the rule being broken and not see the miracle. Now, now, as I read this these passages as a kid or heard them in Sunday school, I always thought how ridiculous these Pharisees sounded. Did anybody else feel that? Like how much how dumb can you be to be mad? He's carrying the mat when he just got healed. Um, but but try I try to have a little bit of sympathy for these Pharisees and these uh, this party Jesus uh, John calls the Jews. They're trying really hard to follow God as best as they can. And, and they're worried. They, they, they have seen and they've heard the stories of what happens when you don't follow God. It, w- it was exile. They got carried off into Babylon. And they, they, they wanted to stay true to God. And they were fighting for the people to stay true to God. So something like that didn't happen again. Because otherwise they thought they were going to lose their homeland. The Romans were going to kick us out. God was going to uh, abandon us because we're not following God's laws. And we can say, oh, that seems so legalistic, but here's the challenge, is that actually it's what happened. Okay, if you know your history, in 70 AD, the temple's destroyed, Israel loses its land, and uh, really isn't a nation again until some of you were alive. Okay, they were right. That's the challenge, is they were actually right about what could happen. But, but, but so they, they were trying to be faithful. But what they didn't understand is that actually to be faithful was to follow this Jesus character. They couldn't quite see it. He didn't quite fit into their understanding, into their rules, into what they think should have happened. It's definitely odd to care more about the work than the healing, but from their perspective, the healing could have waited another day. In fact, Jesus was sort of picking a fight if he's healing on the... uh, Jesus seems to heal on the Sabbath on purpose, everybody. He seems to sort of jab at them, too. So the Jews get on this man's case for carrying his bed. And isn't it interesting? The man doesn't know who healed him. The man doesn't know who healed him. Everybody, listen to me. If somebody heals you, get their name. (laughs) Like, 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 at least get their name. Find out who... Like, what happened there? Is, it the, is that the, the excitement that Jesus disappears before the man? Or is this man just so caught up in his healing that he's not thinking about anything but what just happened to him? Like there's this interesting sort of moment, right? where how can you not know who healed you? So they're questioning the, the dude, and, and I love his response to them. They're like, "Who told you to carry your mat?" And they were like, he was like, "The guy who healed me." kind of like i understand you guys say the rules you're not supposed to carry the mat but the healing guy told me something else i'm going to go with the healing guy <laughs> and i'm going to go with i, I know I'm, I'm i'm sort of learning right but isn't it interesting and then the text tells us that jesus found the man later the man doesn't even find jesus jesus finds the man later the the man who has has been at this pool he's not been able where does he find him really important he finds him on the temple he, he's been sick. He's been injured. He's been by the pool. He can't go to the temple. And so what does this man do? Being a good Jew, he gets himself cleaned up, and he goes to the temple for the first time in 38 years. He goes up to the temple to worship. And Jesus sees him there and says, Hey, you look a lot better, right? You got a little hop in your step there. I like it. And he says, Go and sin no more. So the man finds out it's Jesus. And then what does the man do? This is where the story gets really interesting. The man goes and tells the Jews it was Jesus. The man goes and tells the people that were trying to figure out who it was that it was Jesus. And there's, there's a ton of debate. You can, you can read this story a number of different ways. One way is to say, well, he was just so excited. He wanted people to know who it was. Yeah, but he wasn't excited enough to ask his name in the first place. And he wasn't excited enough to go find the man. But Jesus found him. And the way Jesus says, go and sin no more, I sort of wonder if part of what this man is actually doing is tattling on Jesus. I wonder if actually part of what this man's doing is is maybe betraying Jesus. Think about it. It's your first day walking. And what do you do? You go tell these people that are not happy with Jesus who did it. That's what you do with your first day walking in 38 years. See, last week I made this point that, that healing is not just about the infirmity, it's also about the person. And we saw that last week, that there's this little boy that gets healed, but also his father gets healed. Also the household gets healed. But here I wonder if we have a person whose infirmity is healed, but he's not healed as a person. And I I can imagine it would be difficult to be healed as a person after 38 years of going through what this man has gone through. I wonder if he's actually really a believer in the Jewish faith, the way he goes to the temple, the way he seems to care about the law. So he goes, and and, and I kind of wonder if he's tattling on Jesus. Jesus and so the the hearing now who it is that it's this jesus the jews then this jewish party goes after jesus and uh and and start attacking him they start persecuting him because he's doing all this how can you be if you're really from god then do your work on sunday sabbath was saturday okay do you work the day before do you work the day after why do you have to break god's laws to try to represent god you shouldn't have to do those two things well but what does jesus say i love his response my father is working until now and so I'm working. My father's working, I'm working. Right? God didn't take today off. Okay, look at this. He's given us some sunshine. Right? God's still working. God doesn't take Sabbath. God's always working, so I'm working. And then they really get mad at Jesus. Why? Because he's claiming God is his father. Like now. See, see, do you see Jesus sort of poking? He's poking the bear. He's not avoiding this conflict. He's building this conflict. In fact, listen to what he says. Listen to what it says in verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Okay? So here's here's the challenge for these people, is that Jesus is the maker of the Sabbath. He's the maker of the Sabbath. He can do what he wants on the Sabbath. And for him to claim that, for him to do that, is in their minds blasphemy. And not just blasphemy, it's a threat to all of Israel. This is a person who can lead us all astray, lead us all into exile. And so they start deciding that they've got to kill him. And here's the other interesting thing. Maybe it's a little disappointing for you to think of maybe this guy sort of tattled on Jesus. But but you know what I find really amazing is that here's this man who doesn't seem to be real true to Jesus, doesn't seem to really care that it's Jesus at first, and seems to go tell the Jews about him. And yeah, Jesus heals him anyway. There's an amazing grace to this, that Jesus brings healing to somebody that may not respond as well as he should have. Because we all don't respond as well as we should have to the healing of Jesus. I mean, there's all kinds of ways in which, which Jesus could look at us and say, "Hey, do you want healed?" And there's parts of our lives that we're like, "Uh, not really." Like, <laughs> you know, that part of my heart just don't even go there, Jesus. That that anger, that's mine. I get to keep that. That hurt, that wound, that that's my identity. You don't get to have that. Don't heal that. We all have those places where we're not sure we want Jesus to heal us and that we're going to push back on what Jesus has to do for us. But but Jesus has the right to heal those places anyway. And that's what's going on in John. The question in John is, right through all this passage in John, is how are you going to deal with Jesus? Nicodemus is unsure. The Samaritan woman believes. This, Roman, this, this uh, official with his son sick believes. This... Man who was lame for 38 years is not sure. The Jewish party, well, they're real mad about it. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the Jesus who can do all of this? The Lord of the Sabbath. What are you going to do when he comes and heals you? What are you going to do when you need healing? It's too bad that this man who received the healing couldn't see all that. And I'm just hoping, I pray that he did later. Maybe the next day, Jesus got to sit down and talk to him. I, I pray that some of these, some of these uh, Pharisees and religious leaders got to. Also, we know that some of them uh, did. And it's my hope that you can, in some way, grasp the saving and loving miracle of Jesus in your life.